Well, I'm glad that you're here this morning as we continue to look into the book of Philippians and try to understand what it means to have joy no matter what. Um, we, I feel like that it is necessary, perhaps now as much or more than ever, as we all face uh, the various trials and, and perhaps frustrations and, and just the unknown. That seems to be one of the things that I think cripples so many people, and I confess it cripples me at times as well, is not even just the bad news, it's just the unknown news. I don't know what's next. Like, well, you know, when I perceive that something is bad, it's like, well, is this as bad as it gets, or is there a potential, is it going to get worse? And so it's sometimes it's just the unknown that will cripple us and and so we find ourselves i think many of us as we deal with things like uh unemployment and uh, the covid virus and the economy and and you name it there just seems to be on every front there's challenges and frustrations and so it seemed to me that to dig into the book of joy as it's been referred to the book of philippians seemed like the most appropriate thing to do for these times for us and for our church and so we find ourselves then in the book of philippians in chapter one we're going to be looking this morning philippians chapter one verses 12 through 18. some of you may know some of you may even be excited about the super bowl tonight anybody excited about that i see jerry Jerry's over here jumping up and down. Carolyn, I saw that. Whoop, whoop. Some of you probably didn't even know the Super Bowl was tonight, did you? That's okay. That's okay. I wanted to just use that illustration. Most of you, if you weren't aware of the Super Bowl is tonight, probably at least are familiar somewhat with football. So one of the things that I know about football, and I'm not a big sports fanatic. I don't claim to be an expert on it by any means, but... I've played a little and I've watched a little, enough to know that one of the things that you want to try to achieve is to move the ball from one end of the field to the other. And you know occasionally, but rarely, that ball might be moved in one motion by a pass or a runner all the way from one end of the field all the way down to the other. One move. But that's rare. That almost never, ever happens. It's the exception. It's an anomaly. Because what normally happens in most every football game, they have these things called downs. And so for every 10 yards, you get a down. And so they're trying to incrementally move the ball down the field. Not in one big fell swoop, but they're trying to incrementally, a little bit at a time, to move the ball down the field to get to the other end where they can score. And so it is a lot of times in life that it's not about achieving our goal immediately. Although we live in a society and a culture where we want everything instantaneously, don't we? We want microwave. We want the drive-through car wash. We want an Instapot. Amen? Cindy got an Instapot for Christmas. 
Everything is cooked Instapot now. I love it. It's fast. But that's the way we've conditioned ourselves is we want everything right now. We want to take one step and be there. But much like football, life oftentimes happens in increments, a little bit at a time. It's all about advancing the ball down the field. I remember uh, I worked in the corporate sector for uh, quite a few years. And it was not uncommon in some of our meetings, business meetings, to hear someone use the phrase, advance the game. Because what we would realize is on some of the projects that we might be working on, the ultimate goal was somewhere out into the future. It might be months down the road. And so we knew we couldn't get to the solution. We couldn't get to the final goal today or even this week. But we identified things that we could do today or this week or this month to at least advance the game. What could we do today? What could we do before Friday this week to at least move the ball down the field so that we're moving closer to our goal incrementally? We knew we couldn't achieve everything at one time, but we asked ourselves the question, then what am I doing today? What have I got on my list of things to do today that is going to at least advance the game? What can I do today or this week that's going to move the ball down the field? I've entitled today's message, Advance the Gospel. Because you will see, I believe, in the text that we're looking at today, that the Apostle Paul adopted this mentality that everything he did, everything that he experienced, his very life, the essence of his life was lived for the purpose of advancing the gospel. And certainly in the context of, of his uh, persecution, his beatings, his shipwreck, the persecution that he experienced from both in the church and outside the church, that if anybody, he certainly was one who would have had the right to, to moan and groan and complain and be bitter. But quite the contrary. You will see in this text that instead of adopting bitterness, that the Apostle Paul adopted an attitude of joy because he believed with all of his heart and he lived out the truth that everything that happened to him was for the advancement of the gospel. You see, it's really a matter of perspective. It's a matter of perspective. Some people are half full people. They look at a, a glass of water and they see it as half full. Some people are half empty people. They have a perspective. When they look at a glass of water, they see it as half empty. Paul, by God's grace, was a half full kind of person. And he was always looking for the hand of God in every situation and recognizing his sovereignty and realizing that nothing happened apart from the will of God. And even when bad things or what seemed to be bad things happened in his life, he could 
truly rejoice and be joyful because he realized that that was happening because God was allowing it to happen. And if God was allowing it to happen out of his sovereignty, there must be some purpose in that. And as long as God's will was being done, then the Apostle Paul could rejoice and be glad. So he saw his imprisonment, not a reason to be bitter, but he saw it really as just incidental in the big scheme of things because he realized that God was using his imprisonment as a means to an end. It was a, a means to move the ball down the field. It was an opportunity to advance the game. And so Paul rejoiced in the fact that he was being used, that his circumstances were being used to advance the gospel. So we pick up today in our passage, Philippians chapter 1. He says there, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that, has, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Well, what we see here from what Paul has to say is that God can use our sacrifice. He can use our hardships to advance the gospel. I feel it necessary to point out that when Paul speaks of hardship, and even in other places where often he may speak of trials or difficulties, it's easy for us to put ourselves into that and say, you know, I had a hard day at work. That's one of the trials that Paul is talking about. Or, you know, I, I got some money, I got a bonus, but it wasn't as much as I expected it to be. That must be one of the hardships that Paul is talking about. Well, I want to make sure that you understand context here. Because when Paul was talking about trials and tribulations and hardships and suffering, he was talking about life and death situations. That he was suffering for the cause of Christ, not just an inconvenience, but he was suffering. Sometimes his very life was on the line. And so when he speaks of suffering these are much more dire circumstances than just having a bad day at work and so as I thought through that I thought well what would be comparable for us living today in this age where we 
let's face it, we seem to live in, in, in comfort. I mean, how many of you have recently felt like your life was at stake for the gospel? When have you have recently felt like that by proclaiming the gospel or standing up for Christ that your very life was in jeopardy? Well, I trust that not many, if any, of you have suffered that way recently. And so what might be comparable? Well, I don't know what might be comparable. I will say that looking at the way things are going in our world, that that day may come. And I, 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 I plead and, and trust that I won't see it. I really don't want to see that. I don't want to see those conditions. The Bible tells us that it's coming that there will be a time when we will be persecuted for our faith. But I believe with all of my heart that, again, even to that end, that God is working for the good of His kingdom. Because one of the things that is going to happen is this easy believism, this, this society where everybody is a Christian as long as it's convenient for them. Every time that somebody stands up and wants to say that they're a Christian when it seems to be acceptable or, or in some way uh, makes them popular, or even people within just the average church in America who simply go to church but don't really have an active, engaged relationship with Christ, all of those people, this easy believism that we see so prominent in our world today, the true persecution, the true trials and tribulations that are yet to come will shine a spotlight on those people. And it is in that light that those people will be revealed for what they are. That many may not truly have a relationship with Christ, or if they have a relationship with Christ, they have not invested in that relationship. They are just easy believers they just want to be a believer as long as it is convenient for them and so even in those trials and tribulations that are yet most certainly to come god will be using that for his good for his kingdom to reveal those who are truly believers not those who just purport to be a believer because you see, to, to believe it means that you believe it with all of your heart. You don't just believe it in the convenience of the moment. But let's imagine a worst case scenario, and this is not too extreme because it happens in other countries in our world. But what if somebody comes and sticks a gun in your face and says, denounce the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're just a person that's content with putting a fish on your car and wearing a cross around your neck and calling yourself a Christian you're probably not going to be able to withstand that sort of persecution now these are hard words but I want you to understand the condition the circumstances that Paul was in because he wasn't just saying I had a bad day he was under persecution his life was at stake and yet he says, all that I have suffered, all of this persecution is worth it. It's worth it. 
because it is advancing the gospel. In effect, he's saying, I'm willing to do anything, go anywhere, suffer any circumstances, as long as I know and I can cling to the fact and the truth that what I am undergoing, what I am suffering, what I am enduring is to advance the gospel. And so he says, in that I can rejoice. This is not unusual. I mean, we certainly see this principle throughout God's Word. There are many examples, but I, I think specifically of Jacob's son, Joseph. Many of you are familiar with that story, and Joseph and his brothers are out, and they are envious of him, and they decide they're going to get rid of him, and they sell him into slavery. They go back, and they tell Jacob that Joseph was killed, and so Jacob lives the rest of his life, most of the rest of his life, assuming that his son Joseph was killed when in fact he had been slow, sold into slavery by his brothers. And then many years later, Joseph, who had ended up in the house of the Pharaoh, had become ruler of all that Pharaoh had. He was the big man. He was in control of everything, including all of the provisions and all of the food sources that had been stored up in case of famine. Well, famine is what came, and so then Jacob and his sons find themselves uh, without food, and so they go to Egypt looking for assistance, and who do they find there but Joseph? And so it tells us in God's Word that Joseph said, It was not you who sent me, as he speaks to his brothers who had sold him into slavery. He says, It was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And so we see this principle all throughout God's Word where it would seem at first glance that a situation is bad, that it is evil. Those who have acted have acted with malice, with evil in their hearts, but God works it out into His eternal plan for good. So the Lord can turn efforts to thwart his kingdom into a means of advancing his kingdom. He can turn those negative things into a way of advancing the gospel. Can you, any of you think of another situation that, that at first glance seems just terrible and yet God used it for good? How about the death of the Lord Jesus? He comes from heaven, lives a perfect life, commits no sin. And yet, Scripture says that it pleased God the Father to crush His Son for our good, for our salvation, 
And so what Satan meant for bad, what Satan most certainly meant for evil, he had to be rejoicing and thinking, I won. <laughs> I killed him. I killed him on a cross. He's dead. He's gone. But he played right into the hand of God. He played right into God's plan because God knew that if a perfect lamb could be sacrificed for the sins of man, then they could be forgiven. And so he used the works of Satan and his minions to carry out his plan, which most certainly would seem horrific, a terrible thing for the Son of God to be murdered, crucified on a cross, and yet what they meant for evil, God meant for good. So let's look more at our passage here today. Paul, in writing to the Philippians, while in prison in Rome, mind you, he wants them to understand. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, all of my suffering, and, and, and specifically right now as you find me incarcerated in a Roman jail, I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He wants them to know that it has advanced the gospel, but he also wants them to understand that this is part of God's plan. Because I dare say that this person that many had looked up to, a man to whom many could attribute their own knowledge of Christ, their own salvation experience was from his teaching, his preaching. And now all of a sudden this man that was highly regarded, is in jail. Well, if he's in jail, he must have done something wrong. And if he did something wrong, I don't want anything to do with him. I'm going to turn my back on him. And so he wants them to understand that he's done nothing wrong. He's committed no sin. He's violated no law. But he wants them to understand that his being there in jail is not because of anything that he has done wrong. It's not punishment from God, as many might have thought. It's not punishment from God, but it is quite the contrary. It is part of God's plan to advance the gospel. So there obviously were those people who probably had looked up to Paul and see now that he's in jail and are thinking he must have done something wrong to deserve this, that it is part of God's punishment on Paul that he would be in jail. And Paul wants them to understand that it's quite the contrary, that this has happened. This is part of God's plan. And there was no doubt those people, perhaps even in the church of Philippi, who had been praying and thinking, you know, if somebody could just get to the leaders in Rome, if somebody could just get to the inner circle of the leaders of Rome and, and share the gospel and tell them about Jesus, I bet lives would be changed. The government itself might be changed if we could just get somebody on the inside. Well, guess what God did? He sent one of his best men 
He sent the Apostle Paul and he said, I'm going to make sure that you get to the very heart of the Roman government. That you're going to get some face time with the elite, with the top leaders. And you're going to have the opportunity to influence them, to share the gospel, to share your testimony with those at the very center of the largest government of the world at the time. God sent him there. So Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, my incarceration, my being in jail here, has really served to advance the gospel. Paul was familiar with this concept of pouring his life out and and allowing God to use his life, his circumstances, for the sake of the gospel. We see as he wrote to young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. Note this, but the word of God is not bound. The apostle Paul was bound, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, for the sake of the gospel, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. He endured everything for the gospel. In the Gospel of Luke, I mean, the Gospel of Mark, chapter eight, the Lord Jesus Himself teaching the disciples said, "For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it." In the book of Acts, chapter twenty. The Apostle Paul, again here speaking, says, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, and that ministry is to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. His whole life was committed to advancing the gospel. 1 Corinthians, he writes, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. And so he tells his Philippian friends, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He goes on and says, So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And one of the interesting things here is that Paul was under house arrest, and so he had to be chained, and he wore something like what we think of as uh, handcuffs now. On one wrist, he wore a, a cuff with a chain that was maybe 18 to 24 inches long, and the other end 
was cuffed to the wrist of a Roman soldier. And so this Roman soldier, or a Roman soldier, was constantly with the Apostle Paul. He had no privacy. He had no me time. The Roman soldier was always with him. And that Roman soldier would go off duty and another Roman soldier would come on and they'd swap and he would be connected to Paul. Well, what do you think is going on through all of this time? The Apostle Paul is sharing the gospel with these Roman soldiers. And not only is he sharing the gospel with them, but he's talking with others and sharing the gospel. And these Roman soldiers are hearing that. And since they're always with him, they're also observing him. And they're seeing that this man is not only sharing things about mercy and grace and compassion and forgiveness, but he's living it out. He's the real deal. And so lives were changed. So that it had become known throughout the imperial guard and to all the rest that Paul was not a prisoner of Rome, but he was a servant of Christ. That he was there on mission with a purpose to advance the gospel. Paul was willing to make a sacrifice to advance the gospel. And so my question to you this morning is, what is your sacrifice for Christ? I pause there because I want you to answer that question in your own heart, in your own mind. If you've never thought about that, if nobody's ever asked you that, let me ask you again. What is your sacrifice for Christ? Do you ever sacrifice for Christ? You see, because I don't believe that right now we truly suffer for Christ. Praise God. Thank Him for that. That we do not currently suffer for the sake of Christ. But we live such a, a comfortable life that we don't suffer for Him. And in most cases, we're not even willing to sacrifice for Him. So what is your sacrifice for Christ? What is your sacrifice to advance the gospel? If you're not suffering for the gospel, surely you can at least sacrifice for the gospel. We see in the gospel of Luke chapter 9, He says there, if anyone would come after me, the Lord Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That's not persecution. That's, that's action. That's Someone who is making a conscious thought and taking a conscious action. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily, that's sacrifice, and follow me. God wants our whole life.
God wants your whole life. Not just bits and pieces. Not just the areas that you're willing to allow Him to control, but He wants control of everything. I have much more to say on this topic, and so I'm going to stop there because I want to continue. Lord willing, next week we'll continue with the same message. We'll call it part two. But I don't want you to leave today without feeling a sense of challenge that I believe God truly speaks to us through His Word, and I hope that He is speaking to you today that in that still small voice that perhaps you hear that very same question, what is your sacrifice? What are you doing personally to advance the gospel? Let's pray. Father, you are good. You are a good, good father. You love us and you demonstrate your love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That we didn't earn it, we couldn't earn it, we couldn't do enough, we couldn't be good enough. But you love us in spite of ourselves. Father, you've made a way for reconciliation that because of our sin we are eternally separated from you, a holy God, but yet you in your infinite wisdom, in your inconceivable sovereignty, said that if I, as God, who's perfect and holy and willing to die in their place, then the sin can be forgiven, God can remain just, and man can be reconciled to God. And so I thank you, Father, for the truth of the gospel, the good news that says that we can be reconciled to you despite our sinfulness, that you're willing to forgive us, that you have actually made a way for the forgiveness of our sins. Not just sweeping them under the rug, not ignoring them, for then you would not be just. But you maintain your justice. You maintain your holiness. And yet you extend grace and mercy, forgiveness to us. Father, what a tremendous message that we have. That we can go out and, and, and share with others, that we can proclaim Father, I pray that you would make that message very real in our own lives, that we would seriously consider the gift that we've been given and that because of our own forgiveness, because of the grace that many of us have experienced, that it would cause us out of a sense of joy and rejoicing to go forth with boldness to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus that we might advance the gospel. These things I ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Jesus is my 